18 quickly, go ahead and turn to Exodus 34, um, because we will be going there. Just start with Proverbs 18, trying something a little bit different today. I have a shorter sermon, but I'm going to try very hard to give everyone time to turn to the passages. You can follow along in your own Bibles as well. We have a number of passages today. It'll be a blessing to you all, and I won't be racing along Okay, Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it. Now, it seems to me this tower has many rooms that we can explore all our lives. The tour that we've had so far of a few of those rooms in this strong tower. Conclude our tour, tour in these last few weeks, with the room of forgiveness. So now take a look at Exodus chapter 34, and we'll read our central passage for this series 34 and in verse 5 exodus 34 5 the lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him that is with moses as he called upon the name of the lord then the lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the lord the lord god compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity transgression and sin Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now I'd like to begin by looking at what does God forgive. The first translation I read he forgives iniquity, transgression, nas. I think probably is seventy-seven. It's forgiving wrongdoing, violations of His law. Three different terms describing what God forgives. Quite a bit of overlap in meaning. And the last term, sin, being the most general of all. I think the effect of having these three terms emphatic is God can forgive all kinds, and more so, of all kinds that is in his nature. And that is a glorious. He doesn't forgive out of obligation. He doesn't forgive from compulsion. Forgive merely from some sense of justice. Gives because that's who he is. Take a look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, please. When God came in the flesh, he gave up his glorious existence with the Father, but he did not give up his character in any sense. Same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Matthew chapter 9, read a bit about understanding of his character in regard to forgiveness. Matthew 9, verse 2, And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. Now, when Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven, he wasn't saying that because he was trying to tweak the scribes. He wasn't forgiving sins in order to get a reaction from the onlooker. We hear that it's closer, center of God's character to forgive than it is to heal, because that was what he was. In fact, the reason he healed physically was to help people understand that he had the authority to forgive. Forgiveness is the focus. It's the focus because that's at the heart of who God is. Turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 Another example in the life of Christ, right up to the end of his life, an example of forgiveness and a part of who he is. Luke 23, look at verse 33. 
When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments, stripped him, and crucified him. While they were both humiliating him and torturing him physically, how did Jesus respond? Father, that was his attitude. I say with great reverence, he's an orange. He had orange juice. And Jesus was, forgiveness Forgiveness came out. It's who he is. Forgiveness is what's in him. Well, how comforting, how reassuring is that for us that God delights to forgive. He delights to show mercy. Micah chapter 7, Micah 7. I think perhaps this idea of forgiveness being intrinsic to God's character, who he really is, can be very foreign to people, especially if your view of God is based on a view of some other human being, children used by their father. Um, have a very hard time grasping God as Father. I think Father, they have terrible. Well, I don't know that we've ever forgiveness as a part of who they are. We try to re- to imagine and think what is God really like. We have to rely on the Scriptures to tell us beyond, I think, what we can get by analogy with other people. Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight. And that I have been seriously wronged. In some things, it's it's not that big of a deal. I'm happy to. No big deal, right? What if it is a big deal? What if somebody was pounding spikes through my arm and stealing my clothes, dividing them up right in front of me? Well, I I don't know that forgiveness would be a delight, oh, delighting to forgive. No, I don't think that I'm there yet, okay? So to understand that God delights, it's not a minim, minimizing of sin, the greatness and the intrinsic. Now, there are some people who treat God's flippantly. A poet named Heinrich, he died in 1856, and he had the famous quote before he died, of course God will forgive me. That's his job. Well, To really understand God's forgiveness, we need to also understand his justice and his wrath against sin. Let's read uh, Exodus 34, 7 again. By the way, as we flip around, go ahead and keep your finger in 34, because we'll keep making reference to it. Exodus 34, we read in verse 7, keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So what's this about not leaving the guilty unpunished, about visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children? I don't want to spend a lot of time on that today because forgiveness, not so much. But the way I understand this at this point in my study, and by the way, please, I'm welcome to input from anybody who has thoughts on it. But uh, I think the idea is that God loves to forgive. He forgives those who are repentant. Those who who repent, he forgives. Those who reject God are punished. The fathers are often repeated in subsequent generations, and as they are, those unrepentant future generations, God punishes as well. But I think the contrast between the third and fourth, the thousand, uh, illustrates where God's heart really lies. It lies in showing faithful love. Ezekiel can help us understand this. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. Chapter. The whole chapter of Ezekiel 18 is, a, I think, a very thorough application of God's character 
in this area of forgiveness and punishment of the individual. And I think it's very helpful towards understanding God's uh, punishment that's referenced in Exodus 34.7. But I don't want to dwell on punishment today, so we're not going to read that whole chapter. Ex- excuse me, Ezekiel 18, starting in verse 31. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. See that? Repent and live. Go ahead and flip over to Ezekiel 33, 11. We'll read one more verse in this regard. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants the wicked. He wants to forgive. Forgives the repent. His punishment. God is just. So let's think now on what a blessing. Psalm 32. We'll listen to the words of King David, who knew something about being forgiven. King David in Psalm 32, verse 1. We'll, we'll read this whole psalm. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. No wonder they're quoted. Verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. Preserve me from trouble. Surround me with songs of deliverance. Verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding. Whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart are in that cap. We rejoice with him. Now, our passage in Exodus 34 is in the context of God making the Mosaic covenant with the people of Israel. We know that that covenant was weak because of our sinful nature. So it could never bring life. In Jeremiah 31, go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 31. In Jeremiah 31, God foretold another covenant that he would replace the old Mosaic covenant with. And we call that new covenant. (laughs) We call it that because that's what God calls it in this passage. Jeremiah chapter 31, we're going to begin reading in verse 31. Different covenants that God made in the Old Testament is the last one in the Old Testament and referenced in several different places in the prophets. I like Jeremiah 31, 31 because an excellent statement we can read of that new covenant. Okay, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. I took them by the hand, led them out of Egypt, to Sinai, that's where they made the old covenant. This new covenant is going to be like that. It's going to be different. 
How is it going to be different? Keep reading. My covenant, verse 32, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For, here's the foundation of the whole covenant, for I will forgive their iniquity. Forgiveness is the very foundation. This inaugurated that covenant with his own blood. We Gentiles have been graciously grafted into it. Remember, this is a covenant with the house of Israel and Judah. But yet, he's, been, he's extended it graciously even to the Gentiles. Did you notice what's different about this covenant? Let me ask you this. Can you think of anything in the old covenant that the people of Israel were required to do in order to gain the blessings of that covenant? Well, yeah, a lot of things. Pretty much everything in the old covenant was a list of things that they had to do, right? Ten Commandments is one example. But there was like over 600 commandments altogether, right? You do this. That was that was the Israelite side. You do these things, and God's side was, he'll bless you. It's what we call a conditional covenant. The blessings of God dependent on the obedience of the Israelites. What does it say in this passage that the people of Israel and Judah had to do in order to get the blessing, this covenant? <laughs> Not a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> That's right. The foundation of this covenant is called an unconditional covenant. God says, I am going to do this. There's nothing in it that says, you have to do X, Y, Z. And the foundation of that covenant, God is still dealing with sin there, right? I mean, all the things in the old covenant all had to do with sin. Well, in this covenant, God's still dealing with sin, but the way he's dealing with it will forgive their iniquity. How important. Now, may the Lord develop in us our character to mirror his own character. Okay, well, let's try to be realistic here, all right? How far can God really develop forgiveness in us? As How far can he really? How much, how good at forgiving can we really? How natural, how, how much can it be a part of who we are? Turn to Acts 7. We all know we're not perfect, and we look forward to the Lord completing his work in us, and we know that we will not be perfect until we are with him. But yet he is working in us right now. We're going to read in Acts chapter 7. And we're going to begin in verse 51. And this is a bit about Stephen. Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 6.5. We are also exhorted to be filled with the Spirit and build up in our faith in Colossians. So, in other words, we can be like Stephen, Christian like us. Acts 7.51. You men, and here he's talking to the Sanhedrin, all right? He gives them a lengthy history lesson. Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews. And after a very lengthy history lesson of their own history, one, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they scratched their heads and said, oh, yeah, you know, you might be right there. Is that what happened? No. This was a very uh, fiery conclusion here. And when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, 
he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. One, they knew who he was. And he's just accused them of being the murderer of the Son of God. He's saying, I see him. Well, verse 57, But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, Stephen knew how to deliver a fiery sermon, but there was no fire and brimstone in his death. While he was being stoned, his last words, very much a mirror of Christ on the cross. Father, forgive them. Do not hold this sin against them. He knew they were sinning. There was, it was an obvious sin, right? This was a grave sin. This was a terrible sin. He didn't cry out for justice. He didn't cry out a lot of things that we read about other people in Scripture, crying out for a vengeance. Can he do that? A Christian like us. How far? How far is God able? How far can he? Our hearts to his image so that forgiveness Part of our nature. Squeeze us in forgiveness. Ask the Lord for help in, I think. For me, it is. How about us when someone cuts us off in traffic? How about when our spouse, something irritating, for the 490th time, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Forgiveness, we need God's work in us. Whether we're forgiving big things or small things, we need him. Spirit working in us, we need him conforming us to be like Christ. So out of that new nature he's given to us, we can operate from that. Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter talking to Jesus. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? To seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Irritating. It's a major thing. Anywhere on the spectrum. What kinds of sin did God forgive? There's three different vocabulary words to emphasize a point. All kinds of sin. And this is something that I think can be very helpful for us are granted opportunities to forgive. Not something that we want to be looking for and hope come our way. We have opportunities to forgive. That means we've been hurt in some way. But when we are given those opportunities, what they are. We've already talked in Exodus 34, 7 that God will punish. And we don't have to be concerned with making sure. Romans 12, verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We are seriously wrong in a way that hurts very deeply. We want justice, is what it feels like, right? The one who avenges, never take your own, leave room for the wrath. Leave that in God's hand. And we can do that, all right? God will take care of it. He's that big. If you back up just a few verses to verse 8, Romans 12, 8, we're told that he who shows mercy is to do so with cheerfulness. Remarkable or what? It's one thing to show mercy. It's a terrible thing. It's hurt terribly. Not going to take vengeance. It can feel like we've just made a huge step or greatness or something. With cheerfulness, rejoicing like God to forgive because it's part of who he does not want to punish the guilty. What he wants is that they repent and he can rejoice to forgive them. Let's uh, consider the father of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, read part of that. Luke chapter 15. Did the father of the prodigal son begrudgingly? All right, I guess forgive this time. 
So Luke chapter 15, and we will jump in in verse 20 when the prodigal is returning home. Luke 15, 20, so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Celebrate. Does that sound like begrudging forgiveness? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And while we're going there, let me just ask you, prefer to have joy or do you prefer to be morose? Do you like gladness and celebration or do you are you more attracted to sadness bitterness, which is more pleasant. Sometimes when we have been sinned against terribly, we feel like we have to side of anger and that somehow we are betraying ourselves or justice or something. Let that go. We want to let it go and not be. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. We're given this exhortation. Kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, Tenderhearted he's talking about here isn't meaning I have a thin skin. The tenderhearted is not about my own right. Tenderhearted is how I feel towards you. Tenderhearted, we're to be kind and tenderhearted, concerned about each other, forgiving each other in the pattern in Christ. As we rejoice in God's forgiveness, as we grow in our understanding of God's forgiveness and what it means that he is having attitude in us as well and grow in these things, we'll be able to forgive from our hearts, because our hearts are enraptured. Our God, we're flowing with grace. A heart that's overflowing with grace. The God who's forgiven us, that heart can forgive others more readily. God's, or the more God's forgiveness means to us, more readily. You want that heart forgives rather than instinctively guards rights or whatever. A heart that heart has. They're on the eternal life is to know God and to know to know. So if you want that eternal life, you want to experience it now, that fellowship with God himself, part of it. So let's conclude our tour of this tower of the Lord's name by reading our, our God's description of himself one last time in Exodus chapter 34. As we read this, I want you to think. Think about these characters. Rejoice in what God is like. This is who God is. This is at the center of his character. Rejoice in who he is. Exodus 34, 5 to 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, that's with Moses, as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, keeps loving kindness for thousands, forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and our great God, who you are. And Lord, thank you that you want us to know who you are. Your marvelous character into each of us as well. So God, we pray that you help us to cooperate with you in that great work. Did cooperate with you and we see the result of what you did. And Lord, with confidence, 